This is the Sarah Swain Show, where we talk all things bold and courageous business and have big and free conversations with brave humans. Nothing is off the table here, so get ready to be moved, challenged, empowered, and propelled into action. Hi, Roman. How are you? Welcome. Hi, I'm well. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. we got a lot of eager people on this call tonight. So excited to hear from you. Good. I'm sorry I'm a couple of minutes behind. I imagine you're quite busy, so I'll, I'll let it slide. There's a lot of folks out there who are feeling torn right now. So I wanted to bring you on and uh, get folks feeling a little bit more confident, maybe in their vote. Uh, Maybe it's going to be a vote for you. Maybe they're going to uh, potentially move their vote elsewhere, depending on how you answer some of these questions. Uh, But I just really appreciate the fact that you've taken time. Um, I am super just really pleased to see you so heavily involved with more of a grassroots approach to this leadership race and really getting in touch with the people. Um, and we have a really engaged group here and we have a ton of Roman support supporters here. I don't know if you can see the comments, um, but you're very, very supported. So lots of things I want to cover tonight, but I want to start at like basic, basic, basic level. Uh, there may be some folks who are joining from my feed that may not know who you are. So if we have people watching who maybe aren't a part of the freedom movement or who aren't residents of Ontario, can you give like a 30 second quick bio of what brought you to the CPC federal leadership race? Sure. So my name is Roman Babbert and I'm a formerly independent member of provincial parliament in Ontario. About a year and a half ago, I made a choice that I wasn't going to support the government's public health response anymore. I judged that our response to the lockdowns is potentially causing more harm than good in that the collateral harm of lockdowns is is also very dangerous to human life, be it through our cancer screenings missed or our surgeries delayed. I wrote a public letter to Premier Ford and an hour and a half later, Uh, I was removed. I wanted to start a conversation because there was no conversation to be had. And I wanted others to come out and join with me. And since then, I've been fighting against uh, public health overreach for the state of our democracy, against lockdowns and and passports. And that's why I'm here. Uh, I'm in this race because I'm very worried about the state of Canada's democracy. I think it's being eroded before our eyes. And I hope that I get an opportunity to speak about my unique perspective on democracy. And second of all, I I ask that you consider joining me and working with me and campaigning with me until every single Canadian has every single one of their rights fully restored. And is that what kind of pushed you away from provincial uh, into a federal rate? Because you feel as though the issues that you were attempting to tackle in provincial parliament were actually uh, happening on a much wider scale across the country as well? I feel that right now uh, there's an opportunity to unite the freedom movement in playing a major role in the future of the Conservative Party of Canada. And that will be to make sure that the Conservative Party stands up for us the next time around. Because we've got to ask them, where the hell have they been for the last two years? Why did they not stand up for us against lockdowns, against passports, against mandates? Why were they afraid? And, And that includes some of the people that are currently involved in this race. Why did they not speak up for Canadians before the trucker convoy came to town? And so I believe that it's important that we restore principle to the Conservative Party of Canada. That's how it used to distinguish itself from the Liberals. And so that means that we will always say what we believe and we do what we believe is right, no matter how unpopular. No matter how unpopular, and this is something that I think is going to be a major factor for people when making their decision uh, and who they vote for in this leadership race because of that one thing is integrity and doing the right thing, even when it's not the popular thing. And I think that's why uh, you are so appreciated for being a consistent voice throughout this, because I believe it was January 2021. Uh, for you when when you spoke up against the lockdowns at least formally is it do i have my timelines correct there yes um that's when that's when it it happened you know uh i've been fighting uh the response as early as may 2020 because in may 2020 i realized that something isn't right in fact i realized that something was right 
we learned fairly quickly that most of the risk, almost 80% of the risk was in congregate settings, was in long-term care homes. And, and so that was, even though it's, of course, tragic that lives are lost, we should have focused our response, increased staffing, infection protocol and control inside long-term care homes. Instead, we continued locking down healthy people and made them sick. And the other thing is, we understood uh, towards uh, late spring 2020 that the virus is a lot more transmissible than we initially thought. And we started seeing metrics that the infection rate is very, very high. For every uh, person out there uh, who was diagnosed with COVID, there were potentially another 20 to 50 people. According to Stanford, it was 50 people walking with COVID. And that means that all the metrics that we're worried about, like hospitalizations and deaths, are actually 20 to 50 times lower. And, and so I was looking towards my government to reassess its public health response, let us go back to normal, and this remarkable exercise. But at that moment, instead of saying, look, this is good news, we're going to reassess our response, what the government did was it doubled down. It declared itself to be hero for bringing down cases, even though it was June, obviously everybody could understand, if not the following year, if not the following year, that it's seasonal. They decided not to retreat from the narrative and they perpetuated the narrative that the virus is as risky as we thought it was and as deadly as we thought it was in, in March and April 2020. And that's when government started engaging in remarkable, remarkable uh, exercise and abridgment of our, our freedoms and, and reordering our lives based on a narrative that wasn't fair. And, and that scares me very much because when the government engages in something that isn't fair, that's not based on a fair narrative, it can do so indefinitely, or there's no limit to what it can do. And, and I wasn't going to have it. Good for you. And, and why do you think other politicians didn't take the same approach? Why is it so difficult right now? And, and I'm sure that this also plays a role in the complete erosion of trust that so many Canadians um, are, are at the point of either losing or completely not having at all a level of trust in politicians because it seems as though uh, party politics is a major issue when it comes to individual politicians being able to freely speak, uh, share their observations, share their concerns what, in your opinion, is causing so many politicians to stay silent? Is it party politics? Is it party ideology and staying in line with the party that you're with? Is it fear or are people just not seeing the writing on the wall? I like to say that anyone with a working cell phone with any reach towards people, and that includes all of our elected politicians, knew exactly what was happening towards end of 2020, early 2021. My phone would be ringing off the hook with parents telling me that their kids are depressed, that they're eating, overeating or not eating at all, about surgeries being canceled, about overdoses. We, I started hearing about overdoses twice a week. It was a catastrophe. So no one can plead innocent. Also, I don't think that anyone can plead innocent knowing what we understood about the science because we figured out where the risk is. Mm -hmm. No, what it is, it's not so... It's, it's not party politics. It's politics. Politics is the rot on government. Politics is the cancer on government. Because politicians are engaged in, in a classic agency conflict. They have their own ambition. It's their own seats, their own pension, their own ego, their own um, uh, ambition to maybe make cabinet or, or uh, move on. And so they're not willing to go against the grain. They play the game. It's called playing the game. But this situation was, was even trickier because this politically correct narrative developed that we have to, you know, keep everyone safe. And this very strong politically correct narrative was fortified by cancel culture. Yes. So if anyone dared to question it, they would have been canceled like they tried to do to me. Yes. And, and so no one had the courage to say this isn't right and we're going to oppose this. And, and shame on all of them for abandoning, for abdicating the responsibility to Canadians. Yeah. And, and I think it's unforgivable because you don't work for the part. And, and caucus discipline, you don't work for the boss. You don't, you don't work for the leader. You work for your constituents. And what made the situation worse, we're not talking here about taxes or benefits or 
you know, things that most Canadians find boring about politics. We're talking about human life that our elected politicians decided not to stand up for. Yeah. Because they were afraid. They were afraid of the left-wing cancel culture and the Twitter mob that yeah. was going to accuse them of wanting to kill grandma. Yes. And that's exactly what I believe was pre-positioned leading into this, was to make people too afraid to speak up. And I know myself, I am part of that group where I had to take a serious calculation and, and almost perform like a risk analysis on my life, on my businesses, before deciding to speak what was on my mind and the concerns that I have, which I believe speak volumes to how difficult it is for people to speak and actually be in integrity with what they're seeing, with what their concerns are, with what they're fighting for, because the mob is so intense, especially when it comes to um, the online world, Twitter, Instagram. I want to ask you about the conservative, uh, not the conservative party, but let's just kind of bucket right wing voters into one bucket. So conservative voters. There is a very uh, obvious level of division that is starting to occur within the right wing political spectrum when it comes to the vote. We have people who are uh, very upset about the way that the CPC is currently operating as the opposition. A lot of people are feeling as though they have tilted too far to the left or maybe are only uh, courageous enough to speak on things that they feel they won't get canceled or dragged for in the media, which is then as a result starting to create more spin-off parties that are meeting the concerns of people who are worried that the Conservative Party isn't going to be enough. What do you have to say about that? We cannot expect or take anyone's vote for granted. That's what happened last time around. And look at what happened with O'Toole. Mm -hmm. when, when I win the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, one of the first things I'm going to do is I'm going to apologize to all those Canadians that, that typically voted Conservative but did not vote this time around Conservative or went and voted for another party. I, I'll say I'm sorry that the party didn't have courage to stand up for you and for your children and your family and for our democracy. Mm -hmm. And and we don't need any spin-off parties. We know right from wrong. I also think that this is a fight between good and evil. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I, I think it's... This one's easy to be on the right side of, whether it pertains to lockdowns or, or passports or mandates. This remarkable 21st century segregation. I think it's such a shameful episode in Canada's history. You, you don't need to understand a lot to understand right from wrong, especially if you understand the science. Because we know that it doesn't prevent transmission. It doesn't prevent infection. The risk of infection is not the same because even the medical officer admits that two shots offer minimal protection against infection. So any suggestion that anyone's risk of transmission is higher because the risk of infection is higher is utter nonsense. It's completely out the window. No one's putting anyone at risk. So how could we not stand up for people against this unprecedented discrimination, right? And, and it has a very material effect on people's lives. When I hear about family members being denied entry into a hospital, or God forbid someone losing their job and not even getting AI. And this is still happening in our country. It is. So I, I do think it's good versus evil. And it shouldn't be hard for our party to stand on, on the side of good and against evil. And so we don't need to go elsewhere. We just need to articulate this clearly, moderately. That's what I've been trying to do for the last year and a half. It has to be sensible. And and that goes towards some of my competition. And, and I, I like most of my competition. And... I'd like you to ask me about that because people do not have to choose one or another. It's a ranked ballot. We will yeah. go through that. They don't have to pick between Roman and Jean Charest. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> got got you there. Next to each other on the ballot. But anyway. <laughs> so so my, my view is um, we have to articulate who we are clearly. It's something that Aaron O'Toole has failed to do and what we stand for. And we, we have to not be afraid to be ourselves. I think that so many Canadians are counting on us, and I think that there's enough of us. There's enough of us out there 
that that they just want to see a return to normal, that are worried about our democracy and want government to leave us alone. Yes. Yes. Thank you for responding to that, because that is a, a big piece of feedback that I get is that uh, people have now uh, made a decision to become loyal to uh, a party like the PPC because all faith has been lost in the uh, CPC. So if there are any PPC loyal fans out there right now, what is your message for them? I understand why the Conservative Party lost their vote last time around. As I said, because they, we failed to stand up for them. But when it comes to the leadership race, they don't need to make a decision between the PPC and CPC. They need to hedge. They need to make sure that we put ourselves in position. We're a decent person that we can work with and, and have faith in to do the right thing, even when things get tough, that they will lead the CPC, that they're articulate and, and capable of beating Justin Trudeau, are able to communicate effectively in the news media, and, and stand for their principles. Let's, let's try and, and hedge and elect such person to the Conservative Party of Canada leadership. And then come election time, if we're not happy with the option, we don't have to vote Conservative. That's what I would say to that person. Of course, I would ask them to vote for the Conservative Party because I believe that that's the only way to get rid of Justin Trudeau and Christia Freeland. Which which brings me to, to another issue, if I may, and I'm sorry that I'm being lengthy. No. I don't see another way out of this. I don't see a way out of this. And because every institution, everything we've had that was supposed to protect our democracy against the events of the last two years has failed. We're banned from the public square. We were banned. The courts, regretfully, are disjointed. Even on the mandates, they're still ruling against us. Okay? We, we have um, unprecedented censorship on social media. That's not going to come around. It's just getting worse with the prime minister. We have the media that's not going to own up to it, to the role that it played. We're kicked out of our own parties in our parliaments, so our parliamentary speech is censored. How are we going to get out of this mess? The only way out, the only way out is the old-fashioned way, and that's at the ballot box. We've got to beat them at the ballot box, and that means that we absolutely have to be united right of center. We can't have a split here. Can you imagine, God forbid, we have a, I'm not even, I'm really scared of Christia Freeland. I think she's even worse. She's worse than Justin Trudeau because she's smart. Can you imagine a prime minister, uh, Christia Freeland, will have to pack our bags? Yep. Well, this, this is so, a thing important that you're bringing up because um, I, I want to get into the membership uh, in the ranked ballot system here in a minute because this is a huge point of confusion for a lot of people. So I really want to clear this up. So that people can be more confident with A, the purchase of their membership, but B, also then what they can do then with the ranked ballot system uh, to make them not afraid of splitting a vote. So we'll get into that in a second. Um, but with the uh, conservatives, so let's look at conservatives now, the uh, more traditional staunch conservative who has no idea maybe even what is happening right now, because maybe they're glued to the news. Maybe they're just watching the news. They don't have a more well-rounded view of the very precarious position that Canada is currently in. If we have any of those people watching right now, or if this video gets shared out to anybody's friends or family members, what do you say to those individuals to help them feel more confident in you as opposed to a more comfortable vote on their part for someone probably like Polyev? So it's the fact that I'm not a traditional politician that I would, that I would invite folks to consider. Um, as, as I've said before, I don't even like politics. <laughs> and and I, I had... I had a much, I had a much more fun and, and better life before I was elected. I was, I was a partner in a small law firm. Uh, we had a better paycheck and, and was very, very blessed and had my privacy and, and wasn't getting attacked by all sorts of crazies every day um, or haters. But I feel a responsibility. I've been incredibly blessed living in a country. I came to Canada when I was 15. 
we didn't have a cent to our name. Um, my my dad sold ice cream on those uh, Dixie bicycles. My my first mattress was from the recycling bin across the street, all the way. By the way, it's all two kilometers away from here. I I'm, I'm currently situated. I'm living in the riding that I was representing and and that welcomed me as as a new Canadian 32 years ago. Uh, so I'd like to propose my candidacy because with me, people know what they're getting. And we might not agree on everything. And, and before this interview is over, I'm sure that maybe yourself or, or some of your viewers might disagree with me. And that's okay. That's democracy. But at the very least, they'll always know where I stand. And, and like I said, politics is, is the rot. And I don't, I don't propose to engage in politics. I propose to do what's right by Canadians. And, and the other thing is, when we look at the future and we size up the future, we need to look at the past. And if there is someone who is genuinely concerned uh, about where our country is headed, then I think um, I would invite them to consider my candidacy uh, because I, I know how to recognize it and I know how to sensibly fight against it. And I think that's a really important point because of your unique perspective of coming to Canada uh, and moving away from, uh, you know, where you came from and your your ability to detect some of the things that may fly under the radar for a lot of people. So I think it's really important that even if people may not see the larger issue at play here, and maybe you're just using terms of, oh, this is just politics, and this is just the typical pendulum swinging. We go left, and then we get sick of them, and then we go right, and then we get sick of them. And a lot of people are really downplaying the severity of the situation. So I appreciate the fact um, that you're calling out the severity of, of what is occurring right now in Canada because our media outlets certainly aren't. And I think a lot of people tune in because they feel a very false sense of trust uh, that what they're uh, absorbing from the, the news outlets is factual, that it's reliable, that it's trustworthy. But uh, I've been shown a couple of clips uh, and, and kudos to you for doing interviews with Rosemary Barton and uh, Evan Solomon. Uh, I thought you did a great job of holding your ground against the really uh, tough questions. You could tell that they were quite uncomfortable with you, which I thought was great. And it's, it's just unfortunate that that is where a lot of people are tuning in to get their information. Uh, and there's just a lot of the truth that is not even making it into conversations that are happening there. Evan Solomon uh, showed such a remarkable disdain for my position that Canada's democracy is being eroded, yes. even though we can clearly see it before our eyes. Yes. We have unprecedented censorship, right? Be it social media, regulated professionals, the public square, and especially the media. There are very few voices such as myself that are even allowed to come close to mainstream media. We try to maintain a sensible and a, and a factual position, and, and so I'm invited back. But there are no dissenting voices, and that's because we don't have an independent media in our country. How can media cover the government objectively when the government signs its paycheck? And we have a, a state-funded media effectively because if they're not getting uh, funding or if they're not getting bailout money, they're getting advertising money. CTV is a huge beneficiary of, of government advertising money. That's been happening in the last couple of years. I'm going to completely redefine our relationship with the media. Okay. As I said, we have 15, 20% of Canadians treated like second class citizens. That's not an erosion of democracy. We have um, the, the discussion about the Emergencies Act being invoked. For the first time ever, we see banks freezing or government seizing bank accounts without a court order. That has never happened in our country's history. That should, that should upset everyone, even people that dis disagree with us politically. Because there's a rule about this. You, you live by democracy, you die by democracy. What happens if the next day another government comes along and they're uh, ideologically opposed to you and they decide not to grant the other, the former side, democracy? That's why we preserve democracy. That's why we preserve the rule of law, which means we can never use government and, and government resources against our political opponents, which is what Justin Trudeau is doing right now. They're using Defense Department assets against the Ottawa protesters. Yes. 
Like how this is inconceivable to me that this is happening in our country. So every Canadian needs to be worried about that. I agree. And I was I I I used to uh you know back when I actually watched the news, <laughs> which I don't anymore. Uh, I actually at one point admired uh, Evan Solomon for his journalism and and his his disdain for your approach to the concerns that you had was very very concerning to me uh, because it is something that I feel is so obvious that we have very considerable problems that are occurring right now uh, and either they are uh, completely ignorant or they are so biased by the money that is coming their way that they simply um, are choosing to not paint a more well-rounded picture. Um, you, you mentioned the word democracy a lot, and it's one of my favorite words. There are a lot of folks that message me and say, what on earth is the point? They're all corrupt. They are two wings of the same bird. Uh, the elections are rigged. There's no point in voting. And we have such uh, a large group of Canadians that have lost all faith in the government, whether they have been involved or not. Uh, I am of the opinion that uh, democracy is our way out of this because this is the system that is pushing down on us and it's going to require people to actually take responsibility as citizens of a democracy in order to push it back out. What can you offer people uh, as far as peace of mind or confidence when uh, if folks are watching, thinking like, what is the point? Why Why would I go get a membership to a party? Why would I give the conservatives my money? They're all corrupt. I get these messages every day. What can you do to help make people feel more confident that change is possible, but it's going to take the right person to be able to do it? First of all, I'm not surprised by the fact that a lot of your viewers and a lot of Canadians are disillusioned. Because the political class has failed them. Yes. Second of all, um, I'll go back to my earlier point, which is I don't see another way out. The only way out is political. Like I said, the courts are disjointed. We're banned from the public square. We get kicked out of our own uh, parties, so we lose our parliamentary speech. The media is not going to own up to it. Social media is not going to uh, liberate itself all of a sudden. So I don't see another way other than beating them at the ballot box. Um. To the bigger question, which is being disillusioned with politics, of course, I, I try to, again, tender myself as a unique proposition as someone that cares less about politics and more about doing the right thing. But to those that are disillusioned with the Conservative Party and say, Roman, they're behind, beyond repair. Here I go again, uh, Conservative Party, and, and I'm going to try and, and defend them again and, and stand up for them again, regardless of what the outcome is going to be, with some exceptions. Look. I know that there are a lot of decent people there. A lot of them play the game, and, and a lot of them are there for their salary because it's more than they've money than they've ever made and, and their cushion pension. But I think that there are a lot of people in Ottawa right now that are genuinely concerned about this and genuinely want to do the right thing. But they don't have the tone of the leadership to, to protect them. They need leadership to empower them and say, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say to, I'm going to have every single one of them for breakfast. And I'm going to say, you make a decision. If you want to play the game, just, just stop because go do something else. But if you want to stand up for people and, and if you're going to stand with me, you're not going to be afraid of the left, left wing radical mob or the Twitter mob. And, and you want to do right by your constituents, then I'm going to stand behind you. I'm going to empower you to do what's right. And if they had that, then I, I think there are a lot of them that that want to do the right thing. I have confidence that we can get out of this. Yep, I, I have to agree with you there. And I know, I know there's a lot of skeptics and there's probably a lot of them on this live right now, but I, I do agree with you that uh, there's a lot of good people in that house right now. And I, I, I do believe that if given that little added added level of permission or just that nudge saying it is okay to do this if this is what you're seeing then you have my support if you're going to speak up 
I believe that's the only thing that's missing. I think that there's a lot that are fast asleep and are, as you say, more concerned with their political career, more concerned with their pensions coming up, more concerned with, uh, you know, their public image than uh, actually doing the right thing for their constituents. But I do believe that there's enough of them in the House right now where if they had the right person leading the party and that added level of courage uh, to bolster their confidence when speaking in the House or raising issues, that it would probably be a very different story right now. Um, I have a question for you because this is, I get a lot of uh, comments saying, uh, I really, really, really want to vote for Roman but I'm worried that he's not enough of a pit bull like Polyev to be able to combat Trudeau in the House. What do you have to say to that? I've been getting one form or another of that question for the last couple of weeks. And first of all, I'm, I'm not going to change. I'm, I'm going to continue being who I am. And at the same time, as I said, over the last couple of years, they're not many people that are able to communicate some of those difficult things that I've been communicating, whether it's the harm of lockdowns or the evil that are mandates or the passports in a political environment where it's very, very difficult to do so. And in fact, where my competitors have not done so. And, and my ability to, to be invited and to participate in fair discussions on mainstream media and to articulate our position to mainstream media, which is so important because we're not just trying to convince one another. We have a lot of hearts and minds, a lot of Canadians that we need to convince, not just right now on TV, but also during the general election, that I think that there's nothing wrong with a moderate and sensible tone. The subject matter is very difficult. People are so, they're so bogged down in, in their opinions and they're so set in what they believe. And can you imagine, we have so much work to do to undo the fear, to undo some of the hate that has stemmed from the fear that, that people have been conditioned into. Um, and, and the other thing is, I think that when you face the voters, you, you, you got to try and be likable. And, and that means being a pit bull sometimes is, is not the best. Of course, our base loves it. It's great for uh, conservatives that that want to see, you know, the prime minister slammed, and and it's wonderful. And actually, I like that about Pierre as well. But <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to the general election, when likability is a factor, imagine potentially we're going to be against Chris, we're going to be going up against Christia Freeland, and and they're going to paint her as the media darling, and, and and to go out and 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 to potentially you know be be a pit bull there may may not be the right approach. And, and, and here's the other thing. You can't just thump your chest and yell freedom because this is a very complex situation that we're in. When the other side is arguing that, you know, there's freedom, but at the same time, you got to weigh it against the public health response and the risk. You can't just yell freedom. You got to talk about the risk. You got to make a distinction about what it is that you propose. And, and that requires conversation. And, and that's what I've always sought. The, the best thing we can do to turn hearts and minds, to get us out of this mess, to restore and defend our democracy, is, is to be able to, to have a civil conversation like Canadians typically had. I look forward to having that conversation. Yeah, same here. I think a lot of people miss just being able to have a conversation about things without feeling like we have to go to war with one another. Let's talk about no. them. A lot of folks don't understand what the point of a membership is. Why do they have to pay to have one? So let's just start there and then we'll go into the ranked ballot system. So uh, right now, if you're watching, you may be seeing uh, Roman and, and all the other leadership candidates uh, saying, uh, come over to my website and support my uh, leadership campaign. Get yourself a membership. There are people who are under the impression right now, and I'm only passing this along because these are the comments I get. There's people who are under the impression, and I've had even the last week alone saying, I can't vote for Roman because I already signed up with Leslin. So can you help them understand that this is entirely not the case uh, and what this actually means when uh, you and the other candidates are saying, uh, join my party or join my leadership campaign and, and vote for me, get your membership, vote for me. Can you just simplify that for folks so that there's no question left about this? I'll try because sometimes I'm confused myself. <laughs> okay, so we're not dealing with a general election. 
This is not where the public gets a ballot and they all go and vote for someone. This is an election inside the party. It's inside the conservative party for who's going to lead the party. And in order to vote for leader of the party, you got to be registered with the party. Okay, because it needs to know who makes up this body of voters. So if think of it as a club, you can't vote for club president if you don't join the club. So in order to vote in this leadership, you got to pay the conservatives 15 bucks, give them your name and email and and join them for one year. And that gives you the right to vote in this leadership election. And this is very important to, to folks that are supporting myself or Leslin or Pierre or anyone else. You might wish them well, you might wish us well, you might like us or support us, but you can't give us your vote unless you register with the Conservative Party of Canada. And your deadline to do so is this Friday, it's June 3rd. So go and register. But the question is where do you register and how do you register? And the answer is it doesn't matter through which candidate you register. We all register you to the same entity, and that's the Conservative Party. You can register with the Conservative Party. You can buy a membership even without any of the candidates. You can go to conservative.ca, that's conservative.ca, and, and pay them 15 bucks. Anyone who's resident Canadian is eligible to join. Anyone over 14 years of age is eligible to join. So if you have teenagers that feel that, you know, they were locked down for a couple of years and, and the adults have not been good to them because we used to put kids first, but not anymore for some reason, then, then they can join as well and they can make their voice heard. Now, why candidates ask to register through their own portal? Because this way, we keep track of our own supporters. If you register through joinroman.ca, then I will know who you are. I will know that you're supporting me. I will know to make sure to give you a call to make sure that you got your ballot. I will make sure that you got your ballot in time. I will make sure that your vote counted. And so candidates try to attract people to register through their own website. But you could have potentially signed through one candidate, you're a member of the party, and then you vote for another candidate. It doesn't matter who you do it through. Someone mentioned, why do you have to pay? Because the Conservative Party is raising money. They're raising money to pay for the race. They're raising money to fight the next election. And, and the price of membership is $15. So please register. Join Roman.ca by this Friday. If you can go out and, and get a couple of more members, the more members that will vote for us, the better. Join Roman.ca. And I hope that your follow-up question is with respect to the ranked ballot. Yes, it is. And thank you for breaking that down. And I hope that's clear for everyone. Uh, and again, the important date if you don't remember anything else of this conversation, remember that you must be registered with a membership to the Conservative Party of Canada by Friday, June 3rd, in order to have a say in who gets to become the leader of the party. I get questions saying, why June 3rd if the election isn't going to be until September? It's just simply bureaucratic stuff in the background. There's gotta be time to verify the memberships, get everybody sent out their uh, membership numbers by email. I have a lot of people asking me as well. I did my $15 membership, but I don't have a membership number yet. It does take some time to come in via email. Uh, so it's just really important. June 3rd, if you are not a member of the CPC party by June 3rd, then you will, if Roman is your guy, you will not be able to vote for him. So this is so, so, so important. Now, let's get into ranked ballots. Uh, and then quickly, at last maybe the last 10 minutes, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Uh, so five minutes, can you help people understand what is the ranked ballot system? Because this is very different than our federal electoral system. And this is where it's causing a lot of confusion. People are scared of splitting the vote because there's been a lot of uh, election trauma from September of 2021 being like, what do I do? I want to vote PPC because they're saying all the things I want, but I'm scared I'm going to split the vote and the liberals are going to get back in again. Can you help reassure the folks that this is not how this particular electoral process works within party leadership? Absolutely. And, and before I even go there, I'll say for those that are asking, how are they going to vote? They're going to vote by mail. 
They're going to get a ballot from the Conservative Party sometime in August. They're going to fill out that ballot and, and they're going to send it to the Conservative Party of Canada and it's going to count. Um, in terms of the ranked ballot, so this is, again, we're electing the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. That's the person that will lead us into the next election and uh, against Justin Trudeau. And so we're not splitting between any parties. Uh, that's for sure. And like I said, I have to go out and I get, I have to get the PPC voters back and I have to get more Canadians back and I'll get new Democrats who feel that Justin, that, that Justin Trudeau, almost same thing, Jack saying, refused yeah. to stand up for them uh, and, and the union bosses. And I'll get green members who, who say, I have a friend who says to me, I never took Advil before this, and now I have to take two shots in order to lead a normal life. And, and classical liberals that are generally concerned about the state of our democracy, we'll get them too. So we're not splitting any votes between the parties. What we do have is what's called a ring ballot. And that means that there is no winner declared until that person gets 50% of all the points. I won't go into the point system, but the point is until someone gets 50%, they don't become the leader. And so if on first ballot, uh, someone is, be, is not at the 50% level, then um, we continue and we allocate an additional set of votes. And so here's how it works. You, you have a first choice. So let's say you vote for uh, Sandy. And Sandy is now the last candidate. She's ranked number six. She's ranked less. It's an imaginary candidate. And, and now uh, the candidate who's number one is shy of the 50%. So now Sandy drops off the ballot. And if you voted for Sandy as your first choice, now the party will look at your ballot and see who was your second choice. And when your first choice is no longer on the ballot because they finished last in any given round, now your next choice will get your vote and it will be added until someone gets to 50%. So for instance, if you think uh, if, if you think that Roman is your first choice, but you're a little afraid that Roman may not win this race, you can give your first ballot to Roman. And if Roman does not win, then your vote will go towards the next person that you want to win if Roman doesn't win. And the other way around. And, and this is important, not just because it gives you some certainty that you're going to end up with the candidate that you want. It's also an opportunity for us to send a strong message. I am in this race to win it. I'm in it to win it. And, and we certainly have momentum and, and a lot of people understand why we're in this race. But if, God forbid, I'm not successful. At the very least, I have to ensure that the freedom movement is represented in the Conservative Party of Canada, that we get deep into the ballot and we do well so, so they know, so the Conservative Party knows that it cannot be MIA when it comes to our rights, when it comes to our democracy, when it comes to stand up for Canadians. And so this is why I ask to be ranked as your first choice. And, and you can have a second choice and you can have a third choice. You can rank all six if you want. If I don't win, the, your second choice is going to get your vote. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up how important it is. So let's say worst case scenario, you don't get in. The fact that if, if you had enough people ranking you high enough, it sends a message to the party as a whole that there are a lot of us that believe in what you say, what you stand for, what you're fighting for, and therefore sends a very clear message to the CPC what our expectations are of them if they want to have our vote in the federal election. Uh, and, and this is so, so important. So uh, hopefully people understand uh, and, and we will have this posted, so if you need to listen to that again, just to be clear on it, please do. Uh, but it's really important for you guys to understand this because there's so much concern out there about split voting, and it's just not a thing that exists in uh, a leadership race such as this. Um, I have some rapid-fire questions. Are you good with giving, like, 30-second responses, even though I'm going to touch on, like, the biggest friggin' topics out there? 
in in Edmonton, Tom Clark gave us 15 seconds. So started. 30 maybe even too much. We had a big watch party for that debate. And we were horrified, for lack of a better word. So I, I hope that I'm a little better than Tom Clark at these questions I'm going to ask you. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I don't understand why the conservatives went with Tom Clark. What, David <laughs> Suzuki wasn't available? They couldn't get David Suzuki? None. <laughs> I mean, David Suzuki may have even made more sense than Tom Clark. All of us were confused by that. So good for you guys for all getting through it. But all of us were kind of watching wide-eyed, wondering what on earth was going on. So you did well, though, in that debate. So, okay. Uh, these are some popular uh, questions that were submitted. Not necessarily questions, but more policies that people have concerns uh, about. And they just really want to know where you stand. Uh, so number one, uh, digital ID. 30 seconds. I'm very concerned about privacy and I'm very concerned that there may be friction that government will have as it comes to our ID. Our ID is our ID. It, it has to be unconditional, so there cannot be any government friction. And also, it must be our IDs and our medical records need to remain private. In Ontario right now, the ID that Doug Ford is developing uh, for 2022, at least that in the interim, from what I've seen last, has room for your medical status. There's absolutely no reason why any of that should belong on your ID. No, it's your privacy. It should not be separated from your identity. Do you have concerns, this is a follow-up, do you have concerns that uh, this is uh, opening up a bit of a gateway for a social credit system? You know, we already uh, reward good behavior and punish bad behavior. For instance, in, in Ontario, um, if, if one is deemed to have had too many drinks in their life, then they go to the bottom of the line when it comes to getting a liver transplant. Or if you're a smoker, then, then you go to the bottom of the line for a lung transplant. Uh, and, and this has been a socialized medicine system. So we already have history of rewarding and punishing bad behavior. Good point. I think you're making a lot of people think now, so this is a lot closer to us than I think a lot of people realize. Um, oil and gas sector. So uh, Western Canada doesn't feel so much love from Ottawa these days. What can you do to give uh, Western Canada a little bit more uh, confidence that you may have their interests at heart if you take leadership of the party? It's, it's not just Western Canada. It's all of Canada. I think that our natural resources are a blessing and I'm not going to let oil and gas be cancelled. I think that uh, developing our natural energy is not just great for our strategic interests and our economic bottom line. It's also good for the planet because Canadians can derive energy cleaner and safer than any other nation on earth. And I intend to turn Canada into a natural resources superpower that we ought to be. And also add to that, I did announce when I was uh, in Alberta that I will end equalization. I'm running against socialism in Canada. We do not need to have redistribution between the provinces. And the way to go about that is to unlock the natural resources that provinces are blessed with. We don't need dependency. We need to unleash our economic opportunity. That's also how we're going to get out of the fiscal mess that the liberals are going to leave us in. Couldn't agree more. Gun control. So I, I come from a North Toronto riding. So I understand why a lot of folks are worried about potentially uh, uh, gun violence. But we have to be very, very clear that most, almost all gun violence is perpetuated by illegal guns, not by lawfully owned guns and not by law-abiding citizens that, that go through very strict scrutiny and, and, and very strict process in Canada. So what we have is we have a mess at the border. The Canada Border Agency is completely dysfunctional. They're underfunded. They have terrible culture. And what we have is we have a mess where we have a ton of illegal guns coming in. We need to fix the Canada Border Agency instead of criminalizing uh, law-abiding Canadians. Agreed. Now, the Liberals have uh, kind of opened up a bit of a backdoor long gun registry uh, through the amendment to the Firearms Act. Would you reverse that? I will repeal the amendment. I, I think it's very, very dangerous to be confiscating property of Canadians. And, and so the next day, imagine you can be an amateur. Uh, I, I know some gun owners. I mean, I'm, I'm personally not. Um, this is not a, a hobby of mine, but I know a lot of folks for whom this is a hobby. And and so what? They're going to be told that uh, most white gunless was 
perpetuated by uh, a handgun, that means that now they got to go and confiscate all handguns. That that absolutely makes no sense. All of these liberal measures do not actually save lives and they don't prevent crime. What we need is we need to stop uh, violent crime and illegal guns. Thank you. Uh, if you were uh, to be the leader of the CPC and then take power in the next election as the government, would you allow any government officials or representatives to attend any events hosted by the World Economic Forum? Um, I, I would certainly think that they would have the judgment not to go to an organization that espouses such a hateful ideology. And that's what they do. Okay, uh, the WF, just like so many other international institutions, like the like the United Nations, for instance, uh, they articulate uh, what I believe to be a very hateful, radical left wing, probably communist ideology. You know, it wasn't Karl Schwab who said you're going to own nothing and you're going to be happy. It was Karl Marx who said that 150 years ago. And as someone who was born in the Soviet Union and witnesses the catastrophe that this ideology is for the first nine years of my life. Uh, I would say we don't want that in Canada. We don't want collectivism. We don't want redistribution. We want to keep our national sovereignty. And, and that means that we're not going to have government to tell us how to live. We know how to live. Live and let live. As long as we're not harming anyone, as long as we're not breaking the law, Canadians should be able to do what, what they want. And, and so my view is uh, Canadians want to be left alone. They don't subscribe to this collectivist ideology. And the best thing you can do to push back against the ideology espoused by the WF in Canada is to vote out Justin Trudeau and Christia Freeland. Thank you. Uh, and speaking of natural sovereignty, we have a lot of folks who are currently concerned about the World Health Organization pandemic treaty that's currently being reviewed at the World Health Assembly right now in Davos. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Absolutely. So it's important that people understand what is actually happening. Right now, they've agreed to enter into a framework for discussions. They're looking at completing this framework within two years, at which point uh, it's going to come in order to be adopted in Canada. It has to be approved by Parliament. So my hope is that it's not even going to get to Canada by the time we get rid of Justin Trudeau. And, and of course, I, I'm not going to vote on it and I will repeal it if I'm prime minister and it's in place. And here's why. For anybody that wants to understand what is happening, because there's a lot of information out there, I read a very good note up by the London School of Economics. It, they are a left of center institution, so they're not alleging uh, something that might not be true. They're suggesting what is actually hopeful. And there are two matters of concern uh, that, are, that are being looked at in this agreement. Number one, the WHO wants to centralize, uh, wants more central um, response to, to future pandemics. And given the disaster of the last pandemic, I'm not interested in seeding the way that we're going to deal with the next pandemic to the WHO. And the second element is, and again, this is out there for people to read. The London School of Economics has a very good note up on its website on the proposed WHO framework, is that they want legal obligations. They want uh, more teeth to this agreement so, so it could potentially be enforceable. And I'm not going to seed uh, Canadian will to to unelected institutions that at times uh, are not democratic, that's for sure, and certainly do not have our best interest in mind. Thank you. Um, I've seen uh, both yourself and Polyev post about uh, your support for Israel, and I've read the comments section. Uh, there's a lot of pushback and concerns from folks who feel as though Palestine is being overlooked um, and not considered. What is your position on this when it comes to uh, meeting the concerns that people may have for uh, folks who are on the other side of this war? I will always say what I believe, and I will not hide my opinion, even if it means that it might alienate a, a voter or cost me a vote. So I'm. Uh, folks should know that I, I lived in Israel for uh, just over six years. Uh, I am familiar with it, and I am uh, a big supporter of the state of Israel because it's the only true democracy in the Middle East. And and my view is with with representation 
of, of Palestinian Israelis in parliament by virtue of proportional representation. 15% of, of the Israeli parliament is made out of, of uh, Palestinian Israelis, which is uh, proportional to the population. There's a Supreme Court justice who's Palestinian. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I'm in favor, of course, of, of a peaceful solution. The problem is you have so many rogue actors and fundamentalists around with whom peace is impossible. You can't go out and, and make peace with bin Laden. And, and of course, we want, we want there to be certainty and economic opportunity and help for the Palestinian people. Uh, and, and that means we have to deal with the rogue elements that are preventing the prospect of peace, which I hope to see in our lifetime. Thank you for answering that. I have two more quick ones. Do you have time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, where do you stand uh, policy-wise on abortion? Do you feel as though the government has any business uh, meddling in a relationship with a woman and her doctor? So uh, this is a question that I've been answering a lot lately. I don't think that government has a role in how people start and grow their families. And, and I've always felt that, you know, as a conservative, I want small government, I want government to stay out of people's lives. And so I'm not sure that as government, you would pay me to, to deal with the most intimate areas of people's lives. And, but at the same time, we have to respect the parliamentary democracy of those that disagree with me on this issue. Something that has not been happening in the conservative party for the last two terms. Uh, and, and that is why I will never prevent a Canadian from contesting a nomination because of their views on family. I will never prevent uh, an MP from introducing legislation. It's their parliamentary right. If, if we're going to deny them the ability to introduce legislation, then what are they even there for? You can just vote by proxy or you don't even need their vote. You can just the name of the leader and you're done. So, no, um, that's that's my view on the issue. I, I respect uh, the fact that government should probably stay out of the family, but at the same time, we have to respect parliamentary democracy of those that disagree with me on this issue. Thank you. Uh, and the housing crisis uh, is my last question for you. So obviously there's concerns about people not being able to afford homes. On the flip side, there is the concern of the market crashing uh, and then other people can uh, afford homes, but then they're going to lose the equity in their homes or potentially be in a very precarious situation where uh, they can no longer afford to keep the home that they just bought because the value has dropped so significantly. Do you see a balance of some sort to be able to solve this issue specifically in the hotter urban markets? Yeah, so I, I agree with you with respect to the second point, and I'm the only candidate in this race to have made this point thus far. For many people, their home is their only asset. And, and if it's very, very important that we stop this alarmism and we, we stop this concerted attack that the media and government has on homeowners, especially with the economic uncertainty and with rising interest rates and more regulatory action to, to take bite out of housing, I'm, I'm a little scared. And I'm very scared that there may be some people that potentially end up underwater, which is when your mortgage exceeds the value of the house. At the same time, I do not want to give up on the Canadian dream of home ownership. It's a wonderful thing. And there's some material steps we can take to improve housing affordability. For instance, I'm going to double the first time home buyer's exemption from 35,000 to 70,000 and index it to inflation. I'm going to divest ourselves of all federal land that isn't protected and even and isn't environmentally sensitive, if putting out uh, land on the market will increase the supply of land and it will therefore decrease prices. And finally, the best thing you can do is to encourage the creation of new and affordable communities. And how do you do that? With transit and infrastructure. We built this country on a train, but we don't have the political stomach to build anything anymore. And so what I'm going to propose is that we need to start building again, which means to get through the political gridlock, something I, <laughs> I'm well familiar with and I'm not afraid of the politics of the thing. So we start building highways, we start building transit, that will create new and affordable communities. That's how you get housing built. Thank you. And I lied. I have one more. I saw this question come up earlier and I want to acknowledge it because I think it's very important. Uh, and then I'll let you go back to your evening. Uh, you've been so great so far. Thank you. Um, I had fun. Good. So did I. 
The last question I have uh, in regards to uh, Indigenous people here in Canada, um, there is a various, uh, very obvious um, level of division that is continuing to occur. And I'm of the opinion uh, that the plight of the Indigenous people has consistently been leveraged in election after election after election in order to appear, uh, appear as the party who is going to uh, quote unquote actually address Indigenous uh, relations and, and things that are continuing to uh, either oppress Indigenous people or ignore Indigenous people or not consider Indigenous people here in Canada uh, in, in the treacherous history that they have uh, experienced here. Uh, what is your position on this? Are you someone who's going to tackle these issues or is it is it part of your campaign at all? Or is it going to be uh, something that you feel may come up in the 2025 election only to just simply be another point for voters as opposed to actual solutions? I want to do right by Canadians. And, and I think... A lot of people that, that live in the cities or are not familiar with this issue, they don't understand how potentially raw this is for some Canadians. And, and so I think that we should have the courage to address difficult questions, and this is certainly one of them. So, so first thing I'd say is this division is largely caused by politicians. Justin Trudeau is causing this horrible division, and it doesn't need to be. I hear from so many folks... Uh, you, you know, we, we talk about the truckers and the Freedom Convoy and, and how that potentially united so many Canadians that, that previously did not see eye to eye or did not understand one another. Uh, not just Indigenous Canadians, uh, Quebecois uh, and, and Albertans potentially, you know, breaking bread. And, and <laughs> anyways, I'll, I'll leave that be for another day. But, but on Indigenous issues, I, I have a couple of thoughts. Number one, we, we have to recognize the past and we have to learn from the past in order to not repeat it in the future. And, and, and that means recognizing it appropriately and, and understanding it and being fair about it. That's number one. Number two, the best thing you can do, however, for reconciliation is to improve the lives of indigenous people, to actually take material steps towards improvement. And I don't know that I don't know that I can solve it all, but I'm going to try. Let's try and, and, and make some sort of an improvement. And the low-hanging fruit for me is water. We've been talking about water for 20 years, and still we have hundreds of communities around Canada, maybe in the thousands, that do not have clean drinking water. But we no longer need water filtration systems and, and plants with, with uh, labor that uh, typically can't be found. This is why it's been a, a challenge traditionally. We have technologies today where you can drop water anywhere. We make water out of air today. There's no more excuses not to deliver water to every single Canadian, which is why I vowed that before the end of my first term, I'm going to ensure that there's not going to be a single community in Canada that does not have access to clean drinking water. That is probably the best and, and first step we can take towards meaningful reconciliation. Thank you, and I, I see by the comments here your your honesty and your uh, your approach to this is appreciated. Uh, I think all Canadians are tired of feeling as though uh, their pain points are being capitalized on when it comes time to an election, and it's very obvious that our current Prime Minister, uh, although I even hesitate to give him the credit of that title right now, uh, it it is it is difficult to know. Uh, that we're, we're living the real life of divide and conquer, meaning that so long as there is a group of people to uh, be saved from or to save from the other group of people, uh, the fact that this is being consistently leveraged uh, in his speeches uh, and, and, and disappointingly enough, sometimes we do see this on, on the right wing side of things as well. Uh, any final words for people that are really just having a hard time finding trust? What is the last thing that you want to leave with folks with uh, here tonight before we sign off? You know, to your last point, the Prime Minister is morally and intellectually bankrupt. He knows he lost on the science. He knows none of this was fair 
or appropriate. And the only thing he has left going for him is to continue to demonize everyday Canadians. Shame on him. Because that's all he's got is to pit and divide. And I think that Canadians are onto him now. Second of all, I know that people can't wait. They can't wait till 2025. They can't wait to get rid of him. I want to give them two words of comfort. First of all, I don't think it's going to go that long because Jagmeet Singh is in big trouble. He's in big trouble. He's in trouble with his base. He didn't stand up for workers. He, he's being attacked by his own community in his hometown of Brampton. He, he, he knows that the labor movement and the workers are turning on him. What we need to do is we need to divide. The only, the only division we need is between Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau. That's that's cult-worthy. I like that. The, the, the quicker we divide them, and, and, and that means we gotta we have to go at Jagmeet very, very hard. I'm going to be on him every day. I'm already on him. I think he's taking us to 2025 because he wants to keep his pension. He's going to be eligible for pension early in 2025. That's why he's willing to call out the prime minister as to how much he disagrees with him, but still prop up that prime minister. The second word of comfort I want to give to Canadians is... I think that there's enough democracy in our DNA that we can survive Justin Trudeau. We will. Okay, so, but we need to not miss this opportunity. We can't have him come back. We can't have Christia Freeland, God forbid, come back. So we need unity right now, not just in the freedom movement and not just East West and, 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 and people that voted for another party. We need to come together because we need to beat him. And, and, and Christia Freeland, when we get our opportunity, I submit to you that um, I would be very, very honored to do that. I believe that I can sensibly appeal to all wings of the party, and I'd be very honored to lead our, our party and our country. And if you wish to give me your vote, as we said before, uh, you're not going to be splitting any vote. You can rank me first, someone else second, but you can't vote unless you're registered to vote. And the deadline is, is this Friday. June 3rd, you can register on the conservative.ca website. You can register through joinroman.ca. Um, go now, pay the conservatives 15 bucks. It's a small price to pay for a democracy. I'm sincerely grateful to you for, for giving me the last hour. Oh, and, and likewise, thank you so much for your time, your, your generosity with your time and, and your authenticity in your responses. I think I'm speaking for most people on this live. That is very refreshing uh, to just be able to converse with someone who is in politics without feeling as though we're being fed very scripted responses. So uh, much appreciation to you. Best of luck to you on your campaign. And final words for everyone. If you want to get behind Roman, get your membership, conservative.ca, or I've got a, a pinned post here, joinroman.ca. Get your membership so that you're eligible to vote. Roman, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you need support to grow or start your business online, be sure to connect with me at www.businesswithsarah.com forward slash connect or send us an email at team at businesswithsarah.com. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform to help me reach more listeners. Until our next chat, be courageous and take some action.